Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Uddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about... Um, what year was this movie, Chris? 1999. The 1999 film Boondock Saints. On the streets of Boston. This was no gangland assassination. It was way too sloppy. Something went wrong here. An FBI agent is on a case. All the low lowlifes in the quiet city of Boston start dropping dead, and you think it's unrelated. They're all bad guys. Now they're all dead bad guys. The victims are the mob. What we have here, gentlemen, is the beginning of the first international mob war. And the hitmen think they're on a mission from God. Anybody you think is evil, do you think that's a little weird, a little psycho? Sort of like 7-Eleven. We're not always doing business, but we're always open. That is nice and close. It was two shooters. Damn, freaking fantastic. This guy's very sharp. If he hasn't figured us out yet, he will. All we know is what we found out from the neighbors. And the general consensus is they're angels. Amen. In a place where the violent have the power. Destroy all that which is evil so that which is good may flourish. One lawman doesn't know whether to catch the killers. I believe what they do is necessary. Or join them. All the things I wish I could do, these guys are doing. With every breath, we shall hunt them down. Each day, we will spill their blood. There was a Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. So this one was written and directed by Troy Duffy. Uh, it stars Sean Patrick Flannery, Norman Reedus, Willem Dafoe, and others. And the synopsis from IMDb, short but sweet, two Irish Catholic brothers become vigilantes and wipe out Boston's criminal underworld in the name of God. So yeah, That is short and sweet. Yeah, but that kind of, that's pretty much the story I mean, for yeah. the most part uh there's not a whole lot more to it um so despite this being you know a movie from 1999 and and uh, a cult classic and all that kind of stuff n neither or neither however you say it of us had watched this before so correct it's a new one to both of us uh so what it, what what were your thoughts um well this was the um, first film directed by Troy Duckfeet. Is that correct? <laughs> we'll we'll get into that. Duckfeet. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a major... Uh, I think the backstory is almost more interesting than the movie. Yes. So what did I think? I thought it was a Tarantino wannabe. Um, you, you know, I like Reservoir Dogs is so very much the mold, um, in which this movie is formed. And I think that it, 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 it is successful at times in 
creating some exciting action sequences. I mean, I think it succeeds in feeling, you know, gritty and edgy, exciting, right? But I also think it fails um, about half of the time um, when it really feels like it's trying to be something and you can sort of feel the writing. And just to kind of cut to the marrow of it, what turned me off about this movie, and I would be interesting to go back in time and talk to myself when it, if I could see it when it came out versus now in 2023. But what kind of turned me off about this film watching it now was there's a kind of an undercurrent of homophobia in there that I can almost imagine the filmmakers being like, oh, you didn't understand it, right? The, the, I can almost imagine an immediate defensive, well, you just didn't get it, you know, that's what I was going for. But I think that's false. I think if that's what you were going for, it was clumsy and you failed. Um, the detective character is gay, but apparently is himself. I, I don't know. We can get more into this, but has some problematic things. That whole character is problematic in that regard. And it's Willem Dafoe. So it's not like you can write it off on, you know, an actor that doesn't know what they're doing with the part. It's weird. Um, and you go, oh, Very well, weird. it's Boston. It's the crime world. I'm like, yeah, I understand. But it's just you just you just keep hitting that anvil with the hammer again and again and again. And I'm just like, it's not funny. And then at the end... There's these sort of interviews with people on the street, and the movie is super pro vigilante. <laughs> like these two are vigilantes, and they dress it up in all of this Catholic pageantry to sort of be like, "No, this is what God wants." But the the movie doesn't leave it at that's what these two guys are telling themselves. The movie seems, in its last word, to be like. These characters are right, and, you know, a significant portion of the general population agrees with them, right? And I thought it was kind of like, wow, that's that's weird. I mean, that's a really strong choice. And I don't mean strong, like positive strong, but a really, a really bold, heavy-handed choice to make at the end uh, when I think that's quite a questionable uh, stance <laughs> to take. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the film Joker got a lot of pushback for, like, glorifying incel and vigilante, whatever. But I did not feel, having watched that movie, that the film promoted that, right? That the film was like, this is what everybody should do. This This guy is correct, right? This guy's the leader we've all been waiting for. I I felt that that movie was a portrait of somebody with serious mental illness, and it was sort of like an answer to the question, you know, like um, Nolan did with the Batman films. How could we do an origin story for this comic book character and make it feel as close to plausible in the quote-unquote real world as we could. Like, it, can we do that? And that's what the movie felt like to me. And I thought it was probably right that the people that would jump in 
behind a disruptor like the character depicted by Joaquin Phoenix in that film would be, you know, populist mob mentality, burn it all down yahoos that felt disaffected. You know, this sort of January 6th crowd that's like, well, we need to take matters in our own hands and cause some public violence here. Uh, you know, and and so it was interesting seeing this film and having it sort of end with like, yeah, this is the ticket. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it is the ticket, guys. I think it's a problem. Yeah. What did you think? Well, yeah. So I think it's interesting. Uh, and we had talked a little bit, just kind of briefly texted, you know, before recording. And you talked about the homophobia aspect, you know, which is definitely there. And I read doing a little bit of reading about it today um there was a quote that i found and i don't want to misattribute to but i I, it was from one of the two leads i believe at the time and it's kind of interesting because we're now 25 years out or whatever from this and at that time they were saying you know this is a pushback on all the political correctness so they were saying this 25 years ago so and the movie knows that even some of this stuff is not like there's a they they have this friend called Rocco who's also called what the funny man who I felt right. was one of the worst characters in the in the thing I thought he yeah. was pretty bad but there's a part where he is telling a joke to these mob bosses and they you know it's like a Hispanic guy, a white guy and a black guy. And they keep correcting him and say, you know, and they're saying the N word and he doesn't want to say it. Um, But they're like, no, no, say it, you know, and then finally he does. So the movie knows now you're not, these aren't really, you know, 25 years ago, they were just like, yeah, you're not supposed to say this, you know? So, um, but but yeah, that was, I, So what's the, you know, the movie is the only microphone, right? The audience doesn't get, Mm -hmm. what's the argument you're trying to win there? Right. I mean, but I, you're, you're gleefully insisting that we get this in there because screw political correctness, but you, you know, what's your mission here? We should all be, we should all be using, um, offensive slurs like that it's there's no such thing as a bad word they also cast ron jeremy is one of the characters in that scene yeah when you you know when you see ron jeremy you're like okay i know what kind of movie this is you know you put ron jeremy in it because again that's politically incorrect but but you know this stuff started i can remember a i don't even remember what the class was that i took but i can remember i can remember being in college in the mid 90s and taking a class um, and the, the professor who was a woman was talking about, I, I think it might've been like a journalism class or something that I took like for an elective. I don't remember exactly what it was, English class or something like that. But she was talking about politically, uh, uh you know, using proper, um, terms, uh, in writing, you know, back in, in the nineties and, you know, that was when this stuff really started, this this kind of pushback of you can't tell me what to say, you know. So that's, you know, that's part of what they were going for with this. Also, I think the so to me, the and maybe it's just because he's the best actor in it, but 
I thought Willem Dafoe's character was by far the most interesting. It's a, yeah. as you said, a weird character and they have a chance. So there is, um, like you said, there is continuously throughout this, just, you know, everybody's throwing out, uh, you know, gay slurs and, you know, everybody's, you know, uh, uh, you know, cocksucker is, you know, one of the things they're just, everybody's that, you know? Um, and I felt for a while that maybe because there's a, there's nothing said about Willem Dafoe being gay, but there's a scene where he's in bed, like in a hotel with a, with another man. And you're like, okay. So I kind of felt like maybe they were going to even amidst all of this, these slurs and everything, that maybe they were going to present a like a positive portrayal of like it's just this guy just happens to be gay but by the end of the movie they make him cuz they have him dressed as a woman you know and they That was they, crazy. Uh, yeah. For what reason I I don't know exactly. But but he's by far it's just such a, a you know it kind of an over the top performance and there are, I thought one thing that they, to almost do the kind of Tarantino spin, instead of having things out of order in timeline, you know, which was Pulp Fiction, they, the, the, the brothers go and kill somebody, and right before they kill them, then they cut to, so uh, Willem Dafoe's this FBI agent, and him with these bumbling cops, and him laying out what happened, and then they... You know, then they show what actually happened. And towards the end of the movie, I thought they did a cool thing where they have one of the last set pieces, I guess, is him there. And then they show them going into the scene with him. And, you know, he's he's sort of narrating what happened, but also looking at them and everything. I thought that was was well done, you know, and the. This is not a great movie, but like I said, the where I think the 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 backstory is almost more interesting. What the movie is itself, and there's a documentary about this. But this Troy Duffy was just a guy. He was a bartender and a bouncer, and he decided to write a script. He'd never written a script before. Didn't go to film school. Didn't have any experience or anything like that. Wrote a script. He said that. Uh, there were like I guess across the hall in his apartment they were selling drugs constantly, and he got sick of these drug dealers being there. So this was I guess sort of his, you know, vigilante vigilante fantasy or whatever. And so he writes a script, gets it to an agent, and then there's sort of a mini uh, bidding war over this, and he sells the script, and they have him direct it. Uh, so. I flabbergasting. I think, yeah, I think from that level, when you just look at it as a guy who had no experience, it's not like it's a horribly. It just looks like a '90s kind of lowish budget film, you know. But it's it's not, you know. Uh, I mean, there are certainly people who went on to be much better filmmakers than this guy, who their early films were a lot worse than this. You <laughs> That's know? true. So it's it's. It's imp- it's impressive from that standpoint, but you know it was in this weird era where uh, all the studios, for whatever reason, 
were trying to make their own Pulp Fiction. And by the time these movies were being made, Quentin Tarantino had moved beyond Pulp Fiction. I don't, I don't mean in terms of that the films were better. I mean, I think some personally, I think some of the films are that he did are better than Pulp Fiction, but he just wasn't doing that kind of thing anymore. And to me at that time, the wrong lessons were learned. They, they, it seemed like so many of them, they just focused on the violence and, um, you know, this movie, some of the, the, the copycats are more graphic than this. It's pretty graphic, Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think the guy just happened to be in the right place at the right time that this was a script that was Tarantino-esque and I suppose they were just buying anything they could find that, you know, somewhat resembled that. Yeah. Um another one thing that surprised me um so you've got Neil Patrick or I want to say Neil Patrick uh Harris not Neil Patrick Harris. No. Neil, what's the guy's name? Neil Patrick, Sean Patrick Flannery. He was one of those three name guys. Uh, I felt neither one of them are, are spectacular, mm. but considering that Norman Reedus has kind of gone on to be the biggest, bigger star because of the walking dead, he's really bad in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Sean Patrick well, Flannery that- is not, you know, getting any Oscar nominations and he's doing this kind of, you know, lucky charms, Irish accent. But yeah. I thought he was a lot better than Norman Reedus. I mean, what did you think about that? But they all you know. speak. Um, they they speak like eight languages, right? The, one of my favorite scenes is they're sitting there, and in, they never talking. explain. No, because there's. Oh, a they scene just said our they... mom. Our mom may, wanted us to learn all these languages, right? But but the detective character puts his finger right on it. He's like, "What are you guys doing working in a a meat packing yeah. plant or whatever? Yeah, meat packing place." And they and never, it's never answered. You... They kind of look at each other, and I'm just like, "No, that's the question. Why you've, you've, you've these two working class guys who are, uh, according to this film, are are geniuses, basically." Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a scene in which they talk to each other. They're sort of showing off, and they're talking to each other in this sort of kaleidoscope of all the different languages they know. I mean, it's not a well-written scene, but I like it that uh, I like it. The detective says, "What's what's your deal? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what is it with you two? And we don't get an answer to that. I'm like, I think it would be interesting if the script actually answered that. Like, and I don't know if the script, you know, if he felt like that was just that made it more mysterious. But I, I really felt like there's something, you know, that you could do there. They don't you live know. a particularly holy life. I mean, they're constantly doing the um the pageantry you know they've got rosary beads and they put coins in the eyes of some archaic catholic stuff but they don't live particularly catholic lives i mean they're drinking fighting swearing rough and tumble lads um that decide you know what we need to do is we need to start murdering i mean it's the one commandment <laughs> that's actually Illegal, thou shalt not kill. And they're just like, they find some obscure quote in the Bible that sort of justifies it. And they go on a killing spree and recruit other people. Well, and and also it's, you know, I, like the, the synopsis that I read said that they, you know, it's like they're on a mission from God or whatever. 
And the only time that we are given any indication of that <clears throat> is they, uh, they're questioned at the police department and then they, and they says, well, you're free to go. And they said, well, we can, can we just stay? And they're like, well, there's an extra cell, you know, you can sleep in and it's raining and there's raining dripping through the ceiling of the cell. And I don't know, I think maybe there's lightning and thunder and they bowled up out of bed and you're like, okay, that's the indication that they're on a mission from God. But there's never anything else that really indicates that. And so from that point forward, I was thinking, okay, are they able to, you know, just go in and murder these people and live because now they're supernatural. But the, the movie never says that, you know, it's a, it's kind of all over the place in that because they get it shot and bleed. You know, it's the the whole movie is an excuse to have shoot up scenes and mm -hmm. say forbidden words. I mean, yeah. a cat gets accidentally shot at one point, and the one thing that I do think is kind of interesting is there's this trajectory of them. They start off killing truly bad people, like they kill mob bosses and you know criminals flagrant violent criminals that the law hasn't been able to touch for one reason mm -hmm. or another then they get this funny guy chucklehead on board and they're in a strip club or a peep show booth or something where they're gonna go kill some unknown bad guy and uh, this chucklehead kills whoever's in the other booths too. And that's where it crosses a line from, oh, we're on a sacred mission to, you know, holy justice, take out the bad guys, to, well, they were in the other, you know, his funny guys, like, well, they were, they probably bad guys too. And I did like that they, they kept that scene in there because it points up how, sloppy this concept of vigilante justice is, right? I mean, who who gets to decide who deserves death? And mm -hmm. not that the legal system is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I did like that the movie included that, that once you get, you get a third person involved and that person is sort of an idiot and suddenly you're outside the lines of these rules you created for yourself, right? Your code yeah. gets broken very quickly. Yeah. Um, but overall, I I think it left a taste in my mouth that felt like it was it, it was sort of a gratuitous thing more than it was an impressive accomplishment. Even though it, it was a fairly impressive accomplishment considering a number mm. of factors like it really yeah. was but i just think that the worst of it is bad enough to be sort of to kind of kill my like i wouldn't want to watch it again there's nothing in here that i would be like oh yeah we should check that out again i'm like no i've seen it <laughs> yeah and there's a sequel and i'm like no thanks <laughs> right and there's rumored that so again to to give you an idea how this guy's career went he directed this. He wrote and directed the second one. He directed some TV show that I've never heard of before. That's his filmography. Mm -hmm. It's the entire thing. Uh, and he's rumored to be uh, 
doing three, which Sean Patrick Flannery is attached to, but could, will they be able to get Norman Reedus? Who knows? You know, um, but a little bit I hope more. Not. Infor- well, let me say this. Yeah, let me let me say this. Another thing where I liked this a little bit more than what I expected to like it, because even though it has times where it's it's pretty self-serious, I thought the end, you know, it's it's played for laughs. That's not that the laughs are particularly funny, but I thought this was going to be deadly serious Mm -hmm. and I thought it was going to be and they are at least, you know, they're these guys going around killing people, but they're at least somewhat likable. Uh, you know, to a degree, and they aren't doing the the my pet peeve, the 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 tough guy voice. You know, they're not going around talking like this, and you know, they're just kind of goofy and almost bumbling. No, they're going around talking the, like this. Oh, yeah, what are you doing, I mean, brother? Irish okay, accents, but they're just sort of for vigilantes. They're kind of happy go lucky, you know. Yeah. And if this had just been an entire thing of them being very serious and you know trying to be. Uh, even though it is kind of presented like they're badasses, they don't, their persona is not badass. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I, I appreciated that that was a little bit, that ex, my expectation was that this would be even worse in that way than, than what it, so the fact that it was, I don't know that lighthearted is the term, but, but I, I was just glad that it wasn't super, super serious because, you know, this is one of these things where, you know, and I'd always been aware of this movie. I don't know. I can't remember having like friends who were way into this, but this was right. one of these movies at the time where, you know, guys who saw this in high school or college, this like became their identity. You know, some of them where they would watch this, you know, people who would get the tattoos and all that kind of stuff, you know? And so, um, Hard I'm for me to imagine, I, but I'm glad I missed. I missed, but it. Uh, so, and another background thing, it it basically didn't get it. They, it only played in five theaters because this was right around the time of. Again, we kind of come come full circle. So we have the political correctness thing and everything, and also this movie they kind of shelved it because of Columbine. It was around the time of Columbine, and they didn't and. You know, so look where we are. I mean, it's, it's. I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not meaning to laugh, but it's just like Columbine was such a huge thing, and people were, were so shocked. And it's like, how often do we have basically a Columbine now? You know, and daily it feels like. Yeah, and so it's, it's. You know, that's not stopping <laughs> movies from from being released now. But so it only played in five theaters, so it didn't make any money, but. It made fifty million dollars on home video, so you know, so that's a big, uh, a big success, you know, in those terms. But so yeah, um, I went into it it, not really knowing anything about it, uh, being aware of it, and being aware that it was an indie darling and that it had made a splash, but. I didn't know any of the backstory. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I really didn't. I was a clean slate. And I think. uh, Yeah. I knew some of the backstory. I had no idea that they were Irish. I thought they were going to be like Irish American. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I had no idea they were actually going to be Irish in it. Um, And, you know, other than that, I'd just seen, you know. But again, why? Stills online of them pointing the guns, you know. Right. Why? Why? There's nothing that's sort of like. 
Oh, they came out of Northern Ireland or something, and their mom was in, involved in the troubles. You know, there's there's nothing. They're just like, oh, they're in Boston, so they're Irish. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, do they do fantastic Irish accents? Oh, they don't? Just watch. So drop it. They don't have to be Irish. You know, they're Irish Catholic. Sure, their mom was Irish. They grew up here. Sure, and why are they be talking yeah. like this? Because <laughs> it's stupid. And there's a lot of this movie that is um, style that's just not moored. Like the choice of, of picking Ron Jeremy. You, you Anybody can play a heavy in the Italian mob. No, no, we got to get Ron Jeremy because he's particularly loathsome, right? Mm-hmm. I, the, right? I mean, it makes sense to me that the person who wrote this was a bartender right? and, a bouncer. and a bouncer and was like, Ooh, I'm going to write me a script over here, and it's going to be true, all the truths. <laughs> well, and like in the very opening scene, um, you know, they're at mass because they go to mass every morning or whatever, and they walk out, and they both, you know, they, they dress the same. They wear these big, you know, like pea coats and dress all in black and everything. And as soon as they walk out, they both light up their cigarettes because smoking is cool, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was literally just like, yeah, smoking's cool, so we're gonna have that, and everybody's gonna smoke, you know. In this, it was at the time period when people still smoked in movies, but it's just like, yeah, they're gonna smoke because it's cool, because it looks cool, you know. Right. A lot of in the matching in like, duster cool. jackets, because that's what people wear in Boston yeah. is ankle length leather yeah. dusters. Right. Right. And you're not supposed to well, think I was about thinking, it. You're you supposed know, to be like, oh, these badasses. They kill these first Russian guys, and they. It, it was really funny how quickly the police are just like, eh, right. it was self defense. You're free to go. <laughs> you know, like after like five minutes, you know, there's no trial or anything. It's like, yeah, you're free to go. And now they're, you know, they're giving them coffee and stuff, and you know, now they're heroes and everything. So now they're going to do more missions, and you are, you know, somewhat known in the city. And I was thinking, okay, change your look up, you know, dye, color your hair, uh, wear different clothes. Now, nope, they're, they're going to look at, you know, that's going to be their look for the entirety of the film. You know, I guess it's not that the film isn't thinking too much about those things because it's like, eh, we look cool. Um, so, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I mean, I guess in terms of recommending it, I, I don't in general. I'm like, meh. You know, we're far enough away from the the mythology of it or whatever, the buzz of it, that I think it's like, well, yeah, interesting backstory. Um, an outsider wrote a script. There was a bidding war. They tapped him to direct it. That's insane to me. That is insane. Now, this was, you know, I'm sure that there, this was just a, a Wikipedia synopsis, so I'm sure there was more in there that I can't imagine, you know, you—, you you see Sylvester Stallone's story with Rocky and it's like he really, you know, he wrote the script and then he had to fight, you know, like hell to beat because they didn't want to let and it, it. The Wikipedia just makes it sound like, eh, you wrote the script. Eh, you can direct too. Right. Um, so I, I can't imagine that there weren't some more steps to it than that, but, but still for this guy with no, and you know, Sylvester Stallone had acted in films before Rocky. So it wasn't like he had, I mean, they weren't great films, but it wasn't like he had zero experience. You know, it sounds like this guy had, he was just a guy. Right. And Who just had got seen lucky, movies. You know, yeah. I mean, this is kind of, 
this is kind of that that what makes it and it sounds like you also read some stuff that people didn't get along with him on the set and things so it sounds like maybe you know he's not that great of a guy but this is the what everybody who moves to Hollywood is trying to do you know right. it's just like hey i wrote a script and, or you know i somebody saw me in a coffee shop and was like hey you should be in our movie you know and the but the thing is the uh so i'm just looking at rotten tomatoes here to see on imdb it's a 7.7 7, really you know, which is pretty high yeah um let's see what it is on uh boondock saints this is rotten tomatoes okay it's a 27 from critics but a 91 from audience with more than 250,000 ratings Wow, um, I guess it found its. I guess it found its audience. So I agree uh, with Rotten the Tomatoes critics. says a, a Rotten Tomatoes says a juvenile, ugly movie that represents the worst tendency of, of tendencies of directors channeling Tarantino, which I think is a that's uh, pretty pretty apt. Yeah, here here, I I would agree. I with would that. not recommend it. I would not recommend it either. I mean, it's fine to. I had always wanted to see it just because it just been one of those that, you know, kind of slipped by me in the nineties and I knew it was a cult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't regret having seen it. Now I know thing. what I'm talking so, about. Yeah. So I'd always wanted to watch it, but, but it's not, I get, you know, like you said, uh, I don't know what the 90, <laughs> 99 <laughs> version of me would have, have thought, but, but I wasn't really into these, uh, Tarantino clones at the time, so I I can't imagine that I would have that I would have been too into this. So yeah, it I, took I me a little while to warm up on the Tarantino classics. Honestly, I would say I I did not like. Uh, I've never gone back and watched Reservoir Dogs. I I did not like Reservoir Dogs, and on the first viewing, I did not like. Uh, I didn't like Pulp Fiction originally. And I went back and watched it years later and was like, oh, this, because I, I did, I loved the Kill Bill movies. That was kind of when I really um, was like, oh yeah, I, I think I'm into Tarantino. And then I went back later and watched uh, yeah, uh, Pulp Fiction and Reap. But at the time I was just kind of like, this is kind of, the that the violence bothered me and just the, I didn't really think, but you I, liked I watched Kill it Bill. With, <laughs> I did. I know. I know. I know. That's uh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, to me, but I I, didn't, I, remember, I I liked Pulp Fiction, but I I didn't like the Kill Bill movies and and the Reservoir Dogs. I didn't particularly like, but I recognized it as a kind of a seminal thing. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, that is a gut punch. That movie. You know. And I recognized his the surety of his his hand, you know, but the Kill Bills to me just felt like, oh my, it was style, and I didn't see any substance in mm -hmm. it. It's just and to make two of mm -hmm. them, you know, you you have so much of this is the same scene. It's just these bloody fight sequences. It's a revenge story, um, and you need two movies to do that. You could have made one hour and a half movie of all the best of this. And it would you you were told the same story, right? So it just felt right. super indulgent to me, and I haven't gone back and rewatched it. But I think Tarantino has really grown as a filmmaker. I think Once Upon a mm. Time in Hollywood is is a remarkable film. Yeah, it's I love it. Yeah, it's great. 
Um, and I don't, I, at the time it, I don't, and I, I know I'm, we've talked about this before. I know on other episodes that I'm, I'm, I'm hypocritical with this, but I, I, I have, I can remember watching Pulp Fiction with some friends. So this would have been in college because that, that was the nineties. And just, I, it's a lot of times that I don't, I, I think tying humor like, and, and really serious violence together kind of bothers me, you know, and I can remember my friends just thinking like Pulp Fiction was hilarious. And I was just like, I don't know, like somebody gets shot in the head and their brains explode all over the place. Is that funny? I don't, you know, um, but well, to me, to me, the title ties it. The title is the whole point is that this is mm -hmm. it's homage. I think it's, it's a well balanced mixtape of homage to a bunch of different stuff. I loved the way he wove the different storylines together, which I think has become very pat now, but that felt electrifying right. to me at the time. And yeah, it was, it was very pulp, right? It was very exploitative and, you know, shocks and thrills and titillation and, and the whole movie was that, but I saw an artistry to the way that he wove those threads together that I thought was really something new. I hadn't quite seen anything like that before, I thought. Um, right. And like I say with this, and, and you know, I like I say, I've, I've gone on to, I've, to, to appreciate Pulp Fiction, and I really, I love Jackie Brown. I think yeah. I like Jackie Brown more than, more yeah. than Pulp Jackie Brown is probably his most because that's a movie nobody ever talks about. You know, that's that's a great, great movie. But like with this Boondock Saints, it's interesting that he kind of created his own genre, which was then copied, and right. then he had moved on to. It wasn't like he just kept making Pulp Fiction over and over. Right. You know. So. Right, but yeah. you get these imitators but, that think it's a kind of. Um, like it's a worldview, like it's some sort of a manifesto, like it's, um, mm -hmm. right? And they, what they're emulating is a bunch of surface style without, I think, <laughs> either they can't replicate it or they fail to grasp what's underneath, what's the underpinning of Tarantino stuff, right? And I think... It's as much a love. Each of his movies is kind of a love letter to Hollywood in different ways. They're all so full of love for the various things that they emulate or recreate or steal from mm -hmm. or right. I mean, so much of what he does, I think, is homage. Sure. Um, and and at its best, he sort of establishes that world. And reinvents it in his own way. Um, and his kind of gonzo uh, filmmaking with um, Django Unchained or what's the uh, Inglorious Bastards where he rewrites history. Like it's a World War II mm -hmm. film, spoiler alert, in which they kill Hitler. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you get to the end of it, you go, oh, wow. Like he's just making the movie that he wish. Right, it's not a historical piece right. at all. It's a, uh, it's. I'm like, ah, hey, it's my movie. I'm going to do what I want, <laughs> and give us a well, satisfying you know, ending, you know, to World War II. Oh, sure. And Tarantino, you know what? 
obviously the guy's a great filmmaker and, you know, has an pretty much encyclopedic knowledge of film. And, you know, he takes things from different movies and pays his homage to them and everything. Whereas with this, with, um, and Quentin Tarantino, I'm sure growing up was like, you know, if I did this, this is what I would do. And this movie that we talked about tonight, the boondock saints was basically a guy I'm presuming being just like, I could make a movie. How hard could it be? Right. And he did it. It worked out. The guy did it, but, and you can really see that it seems that he thinks he's doing this Tarantino esque dialogue. And it's just a lot of people shouting at each other. You know, there's a lot of scenes of the Rocco guy and them and they're just screaming and you don't know, you can't understand what they're saying. And it's not, and they're just, they're just dropping F bombs, but they're not saying anything. You know, there's not what line I'm sure people do who love this movie, but like what lines would you quote from this film? Whereas look at all the great lines in, in Quentin Tarantino films that you can quote because he writes really good dialogue. You know, he's in love with his own dialogue, but, but he writes, it's good. But that you, um, you put your finger right on it. And it was like, just because Tarantino's dialogue is frequently laced with offensive language, you know, a certain observer might think it's the, it's the, it's lacing the dialogue with offensive language that makes it good. Mm-hmm. And no, it's terrific dialogue. Tarantino just has a little bit of that chip on his shoulder. I think less so as he's aged and done more of it, certainly early on, uh, that sort of defiance of the times like, you know, it's art. I'm going to, I'm going to paint with profanity and, you know, and I'm going to put it in the mouths of white characters and black characters and try and create this on-screen kind of community. I remember people being, uh, you know, very upset and who's allowed to say the N-word. And I think his argument was like censorship sucks and I'm an artist. And there was a defiance to it. I think clearly whether or not it was like some crusade or a mission. I I don't know that I'm qualified to speak to, but in this film, it feels like, Oh, we'll just, you know, we'll just let everybody talk a blue streak and that will be great because that's what Tarantino does. Well, no, that's not what Tarantino does. Tarantino writes really dynamic dialogue. And, you know, it didn't even occur to me until just now you saying this, the the part that we talked about where the guy is telling the racist joke and it has the N-word in it. I bet they just put that in there just because they're like, oh, yeah, Tarantino uses the N-word in his movies and that makes it edgy, you know, and they didn't understand that just saying the N-word doesn't make it edgy. It just makes it seem cheap and dumb. And, and offensive. I mean, you and can offensive. be you can be anti-political correctness for whatever reason. But you can't argue that nothing is offensive, right? I mean, that 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 right. can't be one and the same argument. You know, you can say, well, you know, I'm a comedian, I'm allowed to say whatever I want. I heard a comedian recently be like, you can. I think it was Mark Marin was like 
You can. You you can yeah. say whatever you want. That's the beauty of this country. There's probably going to be some consequences depending on what you say. But nobody yeah. is preventing you from saying it. <laughs> right? This whole idea that you there's a big difference between not being able to say whatever you want and people wanting to listen to what you have to say, <laughs> you know, that people don't right. seem to understand. Right. You can right. say whatever you want, sure. you know, and, you know, uh, but that doesn't mean people have to listen to it or like it. Right. You know, right. if you go into a bar and you start, you know, if I go to Massachusetts and I go into a bar and I just start saying how everybody in Massachusetts sucks and is an idiot and, you know, I, I have the right to say that. I mean, the, the you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get arrested for saying people right. in Massachusetts. I don't like people who live in Massachusetts. But probably going to be people in the bar who are going to be not happy yeah. with me saying that. They might you know? say some things back. You might be asked they to leave the some, bar. <laughs> they might say some things back. You might be, you know. But that's not censorship. No. Uh, you know. I was listening uh, to yeah. a protester on, on a podcast the other day talk about in Florida and this kind of anti-woke thing that's happening in America and Ron DeSantis and um, – she said something really interesting. She says, you know, I I have confidence that, you know, my ideas will stand up to rigorous debate. Like she says, I, you know, I believe what I believe because I think it, it holds water and it's true. And I'm prepared to argue those those points. And I, I wish we would. I wish we would have this conversation that a lot of the country just seems to be trying to ban. They're passing laws forbidding you from saying certain things and from, you know, doing, so whether it's drag queens in libraries or, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's not America, right? Let's You can't just pass a law that says you can't say this anymore. That's crazy. And yet, but that's happening all around the country. And trying to close down libraries right you know def the, you know defund libraries and close down libraries there was some story recently and i don't you know it was some small town somewhere and they were you know there was like a push to to defund the library or close down the library or whatever and the, you know people were speaking there and there was one woman and she said do we really want to be known as the town who closed our <laughs> libraries right that we don't have libraries because Somebody was offended. I was reading this week. Uh, they did um, the movie of, uh, is it Judy Bloom? Uh, Mar Margaret. Uh, God, oh, is it? Is it me, Margaret? Are you there, yeah. God? It's me, Margaret. Oh, are you there, God? Yeah, it's me, Margaret. I couldn't, I couldn't think of the title. And I can remember that I went to, so we went to public school together from the seventh grade on, but I went to a Catholic school run by nuns. And we had that book in our school library. I can remember explicitly it being there in this. And I don't ever remember any controversy about it or anything. But I was reading Judy Bloom saying uh, that it's a commonly banned book. And she said when it was written in the 70s, it was banned from the library of the school that her kids went to, the public wow. school that they went to. 
did not allow it in there. And she said, and they're still trying to ban it today, like 50 years later or whatever. I don't, it's just insane. I I haven't read it recently, but I have read it. I remember as a kid feeling like there were parts of it that did feel quite radical to me, like right, Mm -hmm. quite honest in shocking ways, you know? And then as a kid, I was like, oh, wow, like they, someone wrote that and is getting away with it and I'm allowed to read it and, you know, think about it and have feelings about it. Like it, Judy Bloom really seemed to be able to get inside the mind of a child in authentic mm-hmm. feeling ways and write about things everybody, but kids too, think about and wrestle with and, you know, I think that's yeah. scary for some people. That's very uncomfortable for some people. Um, but I don't think the answer is to block the, the, it out. I think the answer is to talk about it, work on it. You know, why is it uncomfortable? Let's sure. <laughs> let's use it. And the positive thing today is when we were kids, there were only physical books. Right. And you know, the idea of banning physical books is probably meaningless to kids because it's just like, I'll just read it on my iPad or whatever. Now they have tried to take away, um, the, uh, you know, the digital access to libraries for kids too. So they wouldn't be able to, but you know, there's still, even if they do that, you know, there's PDFs of of books, you know, that you can, that the kid, you know, kids are going to be able to read it if they if they really want to. I I'm um, sorry that this has turned a, into a very special episode yeah, of Chris and Chris Talk Movies, we, we did but get into a very special and that we get I always get rolling on politics, but I just zooming out for one second. The last thing I want to say about it is it, it just seems like a dead end, right? It's that's so let's bury our heads in the sand, and everything's going to get better. Like, no, that's not a way forward. Like we all are going to need to up our game and come together to get through the things we're facing. climate crisis. You know, there's, there's global things happening that we need to work on solutions together. Right. And, and so if we're just like, ah, la, 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 I was like, well, that's not, you're not going to get there doing and that. It's, it's weird to think of, on the one hand, you look at the 90s or you look at the 80s and, you know, people would uh, and I, I talked to when we were in Massachusetts or when I was in Massachusetts visiting you. Well, I don't know if I want to say his name or not, but a good mutual friend I was talking to about this, about the whole gay slur thing. And I said, you know, when we were in the 80s, when we were kids in the 80s the worst thing that you could a, a boy could say to another boy is you're gay. Um, and I said, you know, I hope that I didn't uh, play into that too much, you know, um, and that, I mean, there, there are, uh, you know, there are people that we grew up with who they turned out to be gay. You know, we didn't know when we were kids cause nobody said anything, but I oh, hope yeah. that I didn't ever, I hope that I didn't ever do anything to make them feel, uh, you know, badly or anything like that. But on the one hand, you have that where it was like, okay, 
we had these gay slurs and it wasn't and and also there's also there was one scene in this movie where they said retarded also yeah you know which is not something that you know we say these days but on the other hand it's crazy to think that we weren't banning books in the 80s you know Hmm. not i don't remember that you know they, they tried to ban music you know rock music and all that but it's weird that in some ways there was more i mean i brought up this before i think that um in the seventh grade we went to see inherit the wind about the was it the scopes yeah. monkey trial or snopes yeah. monkey trial which is the uh science is right and there was never any discussion in our little town in West Virginia that I recall that the teachers were like, now, you know, the, the creationists say this and the, and the science people say this, it's up to you. What it was just science is right. The, the creationists are wrong. Right. That, that was the message that we were given, which is a more progressive message than what we would probably have today. And when we were kids, if somebody had said, okay, when you're 50, there will be major, you know, a guy who's probably going to run for president trying to ban books, I would have been like, oh, come on. That's <laughs> not, gonna, you know, at the, yeah. 2023, they're going to be banning books and trying to close. No, that won't, you know. 2023 so. feels like, you know, a Fahrenheit 451 number. 2023 feels like. A date that somebody in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, it feels like Big Brother. Well, of course, that was 1984. But it, it feels yeah. like a number somebody picked. And Blade Runner was 2019. But it's this goofy-sounding number that I didn't feel in 2022. But when it turned 2023, I was like, oh, the year is 2023 with flying cars and robot dogs. You know, and you're like, we do have robot dogs. <laughs> it's like yeah. but it just feels it it feels like the world is upside down and that in in some ways and and that really reminds me of some of this kind of um social message speculative science fiction of earlier decades in the 20th century they they pick a time like you know way down the road you know in your grandchildren's time they will be you know fascist tendencies in America and at the time you chuckle being like well, that could never happen here but I I understand the point you're trying to make and here we are <laughs> yeah. you're like oh yeah. my god and not to I mean like put too fine a point on it but in high in a class in high school we read Fahrenheit 451 and watched the movie yeah and I I don't know if that would be allowed in a lot of schools today I think they would try to ban that you know crazy it's town crazy. so all right so uh we're both thumbs down yeah on the you, don't, you don't need to see this one we're probably not going to watch the sequel i mean it's not gonna um, you're not if you're like but i want to watch okay go watch it it's, it's certainly not the worst one, movie we've done one big positive i would say <laughs> if you have amazon prime it's on prime so you don't have to pay for it it's on uh if you don't have prime and you don't mind ads it's on tubi that's how I watched um, it. Yeah. Oh, you watched it on Tubi? Yeah, okay. I didn't realize I it was on, on Prime. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found it on uh, Prime and I was like, hooray, I don't have to pay for this. Because <laughs> <So>, uh, <laughs> it was definitely better watching it for free than if I'd paid four yes. bucks or whatever. 
So for next time, what do we th- what do we think about for next time? Are we going Eve to do of Destruction? Eve of Destruction. Okay. That which it, movie is bonkers. You've I seen think, it? I think I saw it back when it came out in the eighties. Okay, I've never it? seen it. Again, another that I've. It's in that wheelhouse of stuff that I would have watched at that time. Um, I think if you watch a, the trailer, I think that's what you're going to get. I don't think you'll watch the movie and be like, wow, the trailer really made it look like a different movie. <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. I think it's it an hour me, and a half of that. It made me a little bit sad to watch and be like, oh, Gregory Hines. I mean, he he was slumming it, you know, in this thing. But, yeah, it looks uh, – and this one looks like it maybe might actually fall into that kind of so bad it's good category instead of just being boring. So I don't know. I, what We were texting each other back lines from the trailer after you suggested it to me. And uh, <laughs> what was the uh, uh, what was the thing it said? Oh, she's a. I think I I think I sent it to you. She's a brilliant machine who's learning to be all woman. <laughs> this female scientist has made a basically a replicant a of herself. Makes a but it turns out that she, yeah. the, the the robot Eve uh, is also a nuclear bomb. So she's gonna detonate, and she keeps having this tagline being like, "I'm very sensitive." So it's this kind of eighties. <laughs> Woman in the workplace. Oy, boy, boy, guys, you got to check it out with us, please. Eve of yeah. Destruction, Gregory Hines, 1991. It's funny, it's 1991, but it really feels like a, like a 1980. I would have thought 1985. Yeah, six or, or you six. know, one of those kind of. They're, they're, they're clearly trying to be Terminator, and it's like yeah. right after yeah. the Terminator. Yeah. Um, let me ask you one last thing before you go. I don't know how much you, uh, watch movies with your kids. And I I think we've talked about this a little, a little bit, or if if you've tried, um, you know, kind of watching movies that you loved as a kid, you know, with, with your kid. But, uh, I was reading a thing on Reddit of this guy who is, he has a son who's maybe like 12 or something like that. And he's introducing movies to him that he loved, but he's purposely not letting him watch the trailers for anything. So he showed him the original Terminator, which he loved. Then he showed him Terminator 2 without knowing that Arnold is a good guy in it. And it's not until, you know, you kind of forget, but it's not until like a good ways into the movie that he's the he's the hero rather than the villain and the guy was just saying how his kids you know mind was blown by that and he did the same thing like with the star wars movies like he didn't know you know that darth vader is his father and you know so he got to have that surprise you know that's awesome and everything so yeah um my daughter has a teacher at school who also works at a local like little um one of those great old, it's in a strip mall. It's a two-screen theater that you never see oh, these yeah. things anymore, these places. It's independently owned, and it shows first-run popcorn stuff. And uh, she gets to take the kids to see movies every once in a while, every couple of months. They have, like, a movie day that they can go to. It's really cool. And uh, this past Friday was Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Now, Nova, my daughter, has not 
ever seen any seen of the, the Marvel. She, none. Okay. No, no MCU oh. movies at all. It's just not really okay. Nova's thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's going to go. She's If it's movie day, she's into it. She's going to go. And I was like, I am really interested to see what you think because, um, you know, I've pretty much seen all of the MCU movies. Um, I haven't actually mm-hmm. at this point, but you get it. I'm kind of all in on it. And I collected the comics as a kid, as yeah. did you. So and, and I ended up, I had another thing I had to do. I ended up getting there. I watched about the last half an hour of it. And then on the ride home, she was asking me a bunch of questions, and I was we were talking about it. I'm like, you know, we subscribe to Disney. I think we have all of the. There's like 15 years of movies. Like, if you enjoyed that roller coaster ride, I got two other movies of these characters for you to watch, right? And then, depending how into that you are, there's like a banquet of. I love watching movies with Nova. I really enjoy spending that time together. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of excited. I'm like, anytime you want to have like a, you know, you and me movie night, we'll pop some popcorn and sit down on the couch in front of the big TV and, you know, you pick. I've seen it. I've, I'm, you know, some of them are better than others, but they're all roller coaster rides like this. They're all just this crazy theme park extravaganza mm-hmm. of CGI and tear jerking moments and funny moments. You know, I think the MCU is successful because it's really. It's really effective as entertainment in that way. Oh, sure. Um, I agree with cer- sure. certain critics. I think it is. It's all kind of the same song. Um, and if that's yeah. the only thing in theaters, then, yeah, I mean, I would like to see some variety. But for what it is. it's in, They said, like, Ant-Man, I, didn't, I don't think did spectacularly. Mm-hmm. And they're saying this is opening softer. That You know, it's still a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. But maybe less money than the pre. So you kind of wonder if they're starting to wind down. It's got to be fatigue, know? right? It's just yeah. got to be fatigue. I would think so. Um, is she still? I was thinking about this today. Uh, last thing, and then we can get off of here. Um, does she? Is she still playing Dungeons and Dragons? Oh is she yeah, still she into that. Started a D and D club at school. In fact, like I'm so proud of her. She started a club, and they play every day um, at lunch. Because I'm pretty sure. I have, or at my parents' house, some of my original manuals. Um, oh my those God. original ones. Would she want those? Oh yeah, please, please. I got okay. rid of mine. I, I literally like. I already like a few years before this became an interest of Nova's. I think mom was clearing out the stuff and she's like, do you want any of this? I'm like, no, I'm, I don't really, I'm not that into it anymore. And I got, I had all of the original ones, first edition hardcover. Yeah. And I think she just donated them or something like that. So if, if you've still got them, like I'll buy them from you. Uh, I just, that would be amazing. I think she'd really dig it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about that today. I don't know if she, you know, if she'd be into the original cause I'm, I'm, my parents never threw anything away. Yeah. So I'm sure they're probably in my closet in, in my old bedroom. So oh, I'll look. I would love, love, love yeah. to have those. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything with them. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we went but and yeah, saw the right. Dungeons and Dragons movie that with Chris Pine, oh, we, we went it? and saw that. T- it was fun. <laughs> I mean, I thought oh, it was good. really fun and it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the other the other Dungeons and Dragons films have been sort of fizzles, like forgettable. Yeah. Um, and this was really playful. This one had a lot of humor in it. I mean, it's a big CGI thing, but man, mm-hmm. can Chris Pine anchor a movie? 
Yeah. Right? And the way that Chris He's Pratt does in so many films. Yeah. He really, you need a charismatic center person, and he pulls mm-hmm. it off with the plum. And um, I, it was fun. I think, I don't know yeah. if it's going to go down in the annals of history as one of the great films of all time, but we had a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. So, so Chris, for next time. Yeah. For next time, Eve of Destruction, Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. That is our handle. We are on the socials. Like and subscribe. Um, send us a comment. Send us suggestions. What did you think of the Boondock Saints? Please don't tell us why we're idiots, right? We know we're idiots. Um, but if you, if, you, if you genuinely love the Boondock Saints, I mean, if you want to tell us why. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd definitely like to hear why people love it, you know? That would, be, that would actually be really interesting. Because um, I'll be the first person to admit that um, I'm not always right. Yeah, and it's just—I mean, I would definitely say it's just not my thing. Yeah. you know, sure. especially now. Maybe when I was whatever we would have been—I don't know how old were we in 1999. Maybe I would have been like, "Ah, oh, that was cool," you know. Thirty-seven. But, yeah, <laughs> thirty-seven. So. Eighty-six. So, 86. cool. Um, we are at time. Why don't we say goodnight to our wonderful listeners? Thank you so much for joining us or watching us. And unless you have anything else to add. I think that's it. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>